0: Welcome to episode 128 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Philip Slavin. It's Texas Week. How are you feeling? Uh,
1: JP, I'm pretty sure uh, my guts are already so tight. I'm I'm just going to shit a diamond. (laughs) Just compressed carbon all the way down into a shiny rock.
0: Yeah, it's definitely... uh... This is definitely one of the more anticipated games for Oklahoma State this year outside of Bedlam, and it's in Austin again. Oklahoma State hasn't lost there since uh, the turn of the you know, the decade, so Oklahoma State's another number, but I'm very, very nervous for this game. Way more nervous than I have been in years past, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, 2008 is the last time that Oklahoma State lost to Austin. Now, wow. grand part of that's because they played in 10 and 11 back-to-back years, right. but 2008. Think about that for a second. It's been over a decade since since Oklahoma State lost in Austin. No team has beaten Texas more times in Austin than Oklahoma State. No, like ever. Part of that's because OU and Texas play in Dallas, but no team has won that many times in a row in Austin, and that was like three times. So it's it's, that this is a streak that may never be beat.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely wild, and, you know, because Oklahoma State's gone into to Austin since two thousand ten and beaten them every time, you have a little bit of confidence going into this game because they know what to expect. But this is a different Texas team than they played even last year, which was a really a pretty solid team as well. So this is gonna be a battle for sure. And if Oklahoma State comes out of this game with a win, I need I'm gonna need to temper my expectations just a little bit because I will wanna go nuts.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could also argue that this is a different Oklahoma State team than we had That's last year as well. Um, but you know, there was a lot of emotion in last year's Oklahoma State game at home. Um, you 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 had the Barry Sanders throwbacks. Barry Sanders was there. It was homecoming. You're off a of bye week. It was, it's a very different situation, um, and it just, it. I am, I've been an Oklahoma State fan long enough to remember when Oklahoma State couldn't beat Texas, and no matter how many times we beat them. I always have a hard time with this game. And it, and it's only gotten worse since Texas is actually good again. Like right. forget the fact that they lost to LSU. If you watch the LSU game and think Texas isn't We're good,
0: team, you know, Texas I, don't have,
1: I don't have time for you. Um, this is a really good Texas team. They're not perfect. They've got issues on defense. Um, obviously they've got a running back depth that's a problem. But this is a really good Texas team. They've got a really good quarterback. He's very efficient doesn't turn the ball over they've got a nice stockpile of, of wide receivers this is going to look more like bedlam than what i think we would normally think of as an oklahoma state tech. forget the oklahoma state texas game from two years ago that was 13 to, to 10 well, this one awesome. may look more like bedlam than than a normal osu texas game
0: no doubt about it and we all you know we have an interview with the general goodridge over from burn nation to help preview this game before that we actually uh, we have a little bit of news with Mason Rudolph being now the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, when I was able to get an interview with Brian Anthony Davis, he does the Behind the Steel Curtain podcast. And he came on to talk about you know how the fan base feels about him and expectations and things of that nature. And it's very cool to see another Oklahoma State guy in the NFL as a starter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just nice to see an Oklahoma State quarterback as a starter no in doubt. the NFL. We've been waiting for this since he went to the NFL. I mean, it was always... a we didn't know how long it would take if he'd even get a shot, and now here we are. It's year two. Ben's out for the year, and and Mason has the full confidence of, of the team, of the coaching staff, of the organization. Like, they're this is his shot. Uh, he he won't get another shot quite like this. Like he he could be a career backup. This may not work, but this is his shot. And I think every Oklahoma State fan. Look, it's it's really funny. Like, the state of Oklahoma. Is all Kansas City and Dallas? Like I'm a Kansas City fan. I, I don't like Dallas, but nobody is going to be watching Kansas City or Dallas games when Pittsburgh faces uh, Cleveland twice this year. Oh, no like, doubt about those. It. Those, the, the. I, I promise you, the state of Oklahoma will probably have better, t- better TV ratings than Pittsburgh or Cleveland uh, when those two teams face off, because that's all anybody in the in the state's going to want to watch is. Mason Rudolph and James Washington versus Baker Mayfield again for like the fourth time.
0: Yeah, no, and what's going to be awesome about it is that second game that's in Pittsburgh on December 1st, the day before that is Bedlam. So we oh. get we get Bedlam and then we get kind of a pseudo-Bedlam there and obviously a rivalry game there in the AFC North. So that's going to be a fun weekend of football in the state of Oklahoma.
1: Or it's going to be terrible.
0: Or it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I mean, I know it's going to be terrible for us because, well, it's Bedlam. Um, but either way, it's going to be fun to watch uh, in some capacity. But I, I think it's so cool how obviously when you have a guy like Ben Roethlisberger who is a franchise quarterback, led you to two Super Bowls, you know, fifteen plus year starter, it's tough to let go and to kind of embrace that next guy, even when it's an injury like this and he's kind of thrust into the starting role. But it seems to me from what I've seen on social media and what I've seen you know, from interviews in the locker room and just the perception around the organization, they're buying in with what Mason Rudolph has and what he's going to bring to this team and how good they think he is. And I think the biggest thing – and I talk about this with Brian in the interview and just to preview it a little – he said you know, if, it, if they didn't believe in Mason Rudolph, they wouldn't have spent a first-round pick on Minka Fitzpatrick. Because oh, that yeah. that is the we are putting pushing our chips to the, the you know the middle of the table. We are going with our guy right now, and let's see let's see how this goes. They wouldn't have done that if they didn't believe that Mason Rudolph could win you football games and lead you to the playoffs. And I think that says a lot about what Mason in year two is bringing to Pittsburgh.
1: No, absolutely. They've they've shown absolute confidence, and I think there's a good number of amount of like I know there's a lot of the fan base who doesn't. Oklahoma State fans are excited because they they we all think Mason Radal is really good. I understand some sports people don't don't think this is exciting. They're like, oh, Pittsburgh's done. Why would you give away a first round pick? You're gonna suck this year. You should have saved that. Blah, 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 blah. But I do think there are enough fans in Pittsburgh who are who are kind of sick of Ben shit. Like, let's be honest. He's seemed I've watched a little bit of Pittsburgh and from what I've seen, he seemed disinterested. He's seemed like a curmudgeon old fart who doesn't seem to connect with any of the young guys like he's i i've never seen anybody underutilize james washington so much like he just doesn't even seem to want to throw to him um he wants to just play with the old guys he doesn't seem to like the new ones and i think this is this is an opportunity not just for mason but to i mean really he's younger that means he should have a better connection with some of the younger guys. And even at OSU with James Washington, James Washington's there. He's got Juju. Like, he's, he hasn't even had the level of talent he's got now at OSU. And obviously, that's because you've got an entire NFL roster. And at OSU, you've got, like, one NFL guy. But, I mean, the talent around him is plentiful. So it, it, if he's going to have a chance to succeed in the NFL as a starter, man, this is it. That he's, he's got everything he needs. It's just a question of of how does it go this season because it's – to me and i I'll, i haven't listened to you I, I didn't get to take part so i'm really curious um to hear if he kind of answers this is 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 this mason's job to lose by the end of the year is this a situation where he does well enough that they're just like thanks ben uh we'll we'll, we'll trade you to miami for a for a third round pick appreciate all you've done
0: yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that all ends up um you know i it makes it more tough with Ben signing that extension this offseason. Now it depends on how he's able to come back from this injury. Because the way – and I, I watched enough baseball. The way he pulled up on that throw, that looked like Tommy John. Like he need, like that was like a torn UCL, which is the ligament you need to throw just about anything overhand. So that's about a year or so rehab, and maybe he's ready for next season. If nothing else, you probably have Mason Ruff as your QB one going into 2020 as well, most more than likely. I'm no doctor, but just from what I see, elbow injuries, that's about the timeline. So it'll be interesting to see how Pittsburgh not only does this season, but how they go into next year. If this goes poorly, do they maybe try and go and get a Jake Fromm, a Justin Herbert, because they're gonna end up toward uh, you know, the first part you know part of the first round if they try and make a trade or something like that. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this goes, but I'm excited for Mason. I've, I've said for a long time I can't stand the Pittsburgh Steelers, truthfully. But when Mason Rudolph becomes the starting quarterback, I'll start pulling for him. And here we are. It's now going into week three. Mason Rudolph is your QB1, and I'm all in on watching the Pittsburgh Steelers now.
1: Yep, me too.
0: All right, without further ado, we'll get into our interview uh, with Brian Anthony Davis of the Behind the Steel Curtain to talk about Mason Rudolph and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm joined now by Brian Anthony Davis. He is the podcast uh, host of the Behind the Steel Curtain podcast, the Steelers SB Nation uh, affiliate there. Brian, thank you for joining me.
2: Hey, I'm glad to be here, Joel. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
0: So we, you know, we talk a little bit about some of the pokes and the pros and things like that. When, whenever a guy, did, obviously, we talked about James a little bit last year, but Mason Rudolph now being the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers after Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt, we wanted to, you know, not only talk about it a little bit between Philip and myself, but also. Get someone that kind had of no, had, knows the Steelers and understands kind of what the, the organization and the, the fans are feeling because I live in Oklahoma. I have no perception of, you know, Steel, Steelers Nation other than they, you know, fill up stadiums no matter where the game is throughout the country.
2: Well, you know, I'm glad to help. Uh, When this whole thing happened, um, it wasn't a surprise because uh, Ben had not practiced a full week last week. He took a Wednesday off. And uh, one of the reasons, uh, you know, he takes a lot of Wednesdays off. So not a lot of people thought too much about it. Um, But when his elbow uh, when he was holding his elbow, I was with one of my behind the steel curtain colleagues, Dave Schofield, and he looked over at me and said, you know, uh, that looks like Tommy John, just like that. And he's like, I'm, I might not be I might not be right on, but he could be out a long time. Um, so that's the immediate thinking. But I want to be perfectly honest with you when that happened, as much respect as Steeler Nation has for Ben Roethlisberger, they just endured six quarters of very bad play from Ben, Um, something they're not really used to um, from the former Hall of Famer. But when you're only playing three series in an entire preseason, there's going to be some rust. But now we're looking at the fact that it might have been a little more than just rust going in uh, to the problems that he's having. So when Mason came in, um, basically, he had a whole half to digest it, knowing that he was coming in because this happened right at the end of right before halftime. So people knew Mason was coming in. I believe he got mentally prepared for it. And I think Steeler Nation was excited to see what he could bring uh, because the results weren't good um, the beginning of that game. Yeah, it was very
0: interesting. I, one well, the minute that I saw Mason was coming in, I saw the Adam Schefter tweet that Ben was out, and so I immediately found any way that I could to kind of keep track of the game and see how he was doing. Obviously, his first pass uh, goes off Dante Moncrief's hands, which is nothing new for the first two weeks. Gets picked off, but then he goes and still throws for over two hundred yards, two touchdowns, and the perception that I was saw, you know, obviously social media can be a little bit of a funhouse mirror and kind of distort what we actually see in reality, but it seems as though Steelers fans are extremely excited to watch Mason Rudolph for the rest of the season and see what he can do as being drafted as the future guy, now the present guy, taking over for Ben Roethlisberger, who's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback.
2: Well, you know, I would definitely say we are, because uh, there was a lot of change um, in perception of Mason Rudolph from uh, year one to year two. There was, uh, you know, a lot of the... uh, the less educated fans were like, well, he's a number three. He didn't win the backup job as a rookie. That's a problem. Um, now, look, that was by design. It was He was designed to be the number three all of last year. Um, he had a spot on the 53, but they went with Josh Dobbs, not because he was better, but um, because he was had one more year of experience and to uh, definitely redshirt Mason Rudolph last year. That, that was the plan all along. This year, the thought was that if he's worth his Salt, if he's the guy that they traded up for, which they definitely traded up for uh, with in the third round. Um, And they actually had a first-round grade on Mason Rudolph when other teams did as well. Um, Cincinnati was really thinking about him, and uh, Pittsburgh had no problem jumping past, leapfrogging Cincinnati to go ahead and and get a a future quarterback that they believe could be Ben's successor. So um, when going into the season, it was expected to see what he would do, and he seized it. He had a very good preseason, in fact, excellent preseason um so a lot of people were really noticing the big thing with him his his footwork was so much better in that leap from year one to year two in the preseason so um there's a lot of excitement um people were very happy with him being the number two quarterback and when he came in they saw um, an immediate spark um where ben freelances a whole lot um Mason had a lot more precise routes to deal with. And when he threw that first ball, he threw a perfect ball to Dante Moncrief. Um, Moncrief, I worry about him because he is public enemy number one after, uh, I'd like to say after two games, but after one game, Um, he, that was a perfectly thrown ball went right off of his hands right up in the air. And that's why it's intercepted. And that's, you know, a good reason. uh, That's partially a reason they lost that ball game. Um, Mason had a very good showing Um, down the, uh, down the stretch. um, They did have an opportunity uh, where they did go three and out. Um, So he had a chance to win the game. He uh, did not go ahead and do it, but Overall, he led the team on three scoring drives in that fourth quarter. So yeah, there's excitement, and uh, the team must be excited because you don't go ahead and trade a first-rounder if you believe that you're going to tank the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, going and getting Minka Fitzpatrick tells me that there's a lot of trust from Steelers Brass in what Mason Rudolph can do this season – is you know obviously going zero and two to start the season is never good, especially in the NFL. That can really put you behind, especially you know in an AFC North where the Ravens seem to be a pretty decent ball club as well. But what seems to be the expectation for the rest of the season is it try and you know maybe try and sneak into that wild card spot? Do, do people really think Mason can lead you to a division title? What what are people thinking right now?
2: Well, you know, the thought all year is that uh, we, look, Baltimore is a very good club, um, but it, They've also played the Little Sisters of the Four. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when you're playing the Dolphins and the Cardinals, so you're playing the worst team in 2018, and unequivocally at this point, the worst team of 2019, the Miami Dolphins, um, you know, the bar is not raised. But no, this is a good team, but uh, they're not expected to go 12-4. and They're expected to be uh, an 11-5, 10-6 team, maybe a 9-7 and 7 team. When things get rough, you'll see exactly who the Ravens are this week when they play the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I take the over, by the way, on that oh, absolutely. game. Because um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of points. But, you know, um, the expectations are they could uh, either sneak into that wild card, or go ahead and uh, battle for the division crown, but the Steelers are one of those teams that they've done very well as wild wildcards. Um, of course, they they won the whole thing at Super Bowl Forty um, as a as a sixth seed. So they're they're not opposed to going on the road and playing well. They're a team that uh, if they make the playoffs, they could do damage. And if you battle back from an zero and two season, and you go, I mean, say you go ten and four down the stretch you're going to do some damage in the playoffs. Um, with that being said, big test this weekend. You're going to San Francisco. You're taking on a 2-0 team that uh, seems to have a much better defense. Um, they have some weapons, especially in George Kittle. Garoppolo's coming coming along. So if you can go ahead and beat that team where you traditionally do terrible on the West Coast, Mike Tomlin only has uh, one win in the uh, Pacific time zone. Oh, wow. If you go ahead and count the Cardinals, he is uh, Cardinals and Broncos. He has three wins in his career out there. So out West is rough for Mike Tomlin teams. But this is a team that uh, that I'm proud of uh, just w- the way that. I. Uh, that they have banded together as a team with all of the garbage with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown last year. Um, They, uh, we called them team Kumbaya in the, uh, in the preseason. They seem to be a team that has banded together. David DeCastro came out right away and said, no one, nobody wants it more than Mason Rudolph. And we are going to rally behind him. And, I would not be surprised if, uh, if you see an upset this weekend. Uh, I might be crazy, and I don't know if I speak for a lot of Pittsburgh fans because everybody's already penciled them in an 0-3, and we do have the naysayers that say, you just traded away a, uh, a top-five uh, pick next year, which the team would have never done if they didn't believe that there's still 14 games left in the season and a playoff spot to be earned. Right, so another guy, obviously another
0: Oklahoma State player, one of the best wide receivers to ever come through Oklahoma State, and James Washington showed some flashes last year. Seems to be a pretty popular guy among Steelers fans. Now you get that Rudolph to Washington connection that was fantastic in Stillwater, and we all thought as Oklahoma State fans that that was it. You know, once they left Stillwater after their senior seasons, they both end up in Pittsburgh, and now Mason Rudolph is your starting quarterback. I, I imagine we're going to see that connection more than once. And that's definitely going to take pressure off of a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster as well. And I'm sure that's got to be exciting as a fan well, to see the offense like that.
2: Well, here's the thing. Even before Mason Rudolph was in the equation, everything you heard from Steeler fans was get James Washington in the game. Because he's the X factor to go ahead and take the onus off of Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, he caught passes from Mason Rudolph um Last year in the preseason and uh, this year in the preseason, he did. But he also caught passes from Joshua Dobbs too. No whoever was throwing the ball to him. This guy was getting open and he was doing exciting things. Then all of a sudden you go week one against the New England Patriots. Dante Moncrief gets 10 targets, only catches three balls and has 90 percent of the snaps. James Washington has right around 49, 50 percent of the snaps snaps, and everybody's scratching their head. Now, the great thing that this does is you go ahead and bring in James Washington. You kind of have two number ones now, and the reason I say that is because you can't deny the connection that the two, I'll call them the Steel Cowboys, have together because these guys, they've done it so long. You've seen it. They had an awesome rapport with each other, and now Juju's going to be more free because knowing that Mason's the quarterback defensive coordinators can't forget about number 13 here. So there's a lot of excitement here. There's also the excitement, um, with the fact that, and I'll ask you this question. Um, the perception here is that, uh, both James Washington and Mason Rudolph were high character guys at Oklahoma state. And that's everything that we've seen so far here in Pittsburgh. And that's very exciting to the fans, especially with what we've dealt with, with uh, two divas the last couple of years.
0: Oh, no doubt. These were two guys that, Uh, We talk about with Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State of the Cowboy culture, and it's bringing in high-character guys and then turning them into high-character guys when they leave the program as well. And these were two guys that exemplified that you know, beyond Mike Gundy's expectations. I don't think from what uh, Mike Gundy talked about that James really didn't say a word until his senior year when he was a captain and a leader. He just keeps his head down and works. Mason has kind of been that guy as well. You know, obviously almost a three over a three year starter at Oklahoma State. So you have two guys that, you know, in in a blue and they're both blue collar working guys, just like the city of Pittsburgh. It fits in that culture perfectly of the city. And th- these are two guys for the long haul that I think Steelers fans are going to be very excited about.
2: You know, the the city wants to fall in love with these guys, and they already have. Um, Mason said all the right things um, in the post-game uh, press conference the other day. Um, one thing about uh, James Washington that I want to bring up is with the whole Antonio Brown thing about getting called out. Um, on that same uh, infamous uh, show, Ben Roethlisberger's show, where he called out Antonio Brown, he called out James Washington. James Washington comes out this year and says, I'm glad I got called out called out because it got me a chance to work harder and, uh, I got the trust of my quarterback and, uh, I just want to be on the field. So everybody notices the, the high caliber of character that this guy has. And, uh, the fans have fallen in love with them. Um, just for that, he's, the, he's not a flashy guy like Juju, but, uh, he, he falls perfectly in line with what you get from Juju Smith-Schuster, Juju's flashy, but he's not a diva. So there are there's a lot of high character on that team now that was missing last year. So I mean, character counts. I know, uh, but you know, definitely you have to have the ability, and these guys have the ability. They they spent a two and a three on them last year, and actually traded up to get Mason Rudolph. So they're ready to cash their chips in on these guys and uh, and see what see what they bring at the table. Absolutely. So I I talked, we talked about this off air
0: briefly, but I am admittedly not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan by any stretch. I'm a Kansas City guy. um, But I told myself, because I'm not the biggest fan of Ben Roethlisberger, that whenever Mason Rudolph becomes the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I will start pulling for Pittsburgh. And now that he's that guy, uh, you're going to get a lot of fans from Stillwater, Oklahoma. That are going to be rooting for the Pittsburgh Steelers, just like Norman. You know that that town down south is adopted Baker and the Browns. So you, it's <laughs> it's going to be exciting when those guys we get to see that twice this year. I think it's November fourteenth and December first, are the the games against uh, Cleveland.
2: Yeah. So uh, say that again. Um, one is a uh, uh, December first, definitely. That's the home game. That's a four twenty five game, and the other one is Thursday night. And I believe it's before Thanksgiving. Like, the, uh, If you said the 16th, I didn't hear exactly what you are saying. Yeah, I think I said November 14th, I think, was what I saw on social media. It, it, but Yeah, then, it, then it's right around there. It's a Thursday night game, though, in Cleveland. Yeah, and the cool
0: part is that, that December 1st game in Pittsburgh, the day before that, that Saturday is Bedlam OUOSU. So we get a little double dip for, uh, for all those fans oh, here in wow. Oklahoma. Yeah, so it's going to be great. But, Brian, thank you so much for joining me tonight. This was really cool to kind of get it, you know, to – See that Pittsburgh fans have really kind of brought in Mason Rudolph and James Washington, and there's so many guys from Oklahoma State, you know, all these Oklahoma State fans. We're excited to see what these guys can do, and we're glad to see that uh, you guys are excited, just as excited as we are.
2: Well, thanks for having me. And you know, the fact that uh, Mason Rudolph looks a lot like Sidney Crosby, who's a champion in Pittsburgh, a lot of people are excited about that. They're they're loving everything about this guy, and I, I hope that love fest continues. So, thanks for the time, fellas.
0: Absolutely. And uh, before I let you go, if there are any uh, for any Steelers fans and that are Oklahoma State fans as well, where
2: can they follow your work and behind the steel curtain? So BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, dot com is a part of SB Nation. Um, we have uh, we have breaking stories every single day. Um, I would say about 10 articles every day, probably about uh, six or seven podcasts. Now um, there's a post game show, um, that we do on Sundays. I do something called the hangover on Mondays gives you a chance to, uh, after you've, uh, had your knee jerk reactions, you have about 24 hours to, uh, to, uh, sleep it off and, uh, and, and, then uh, reform your opinion. That's what we do on The Hangover. Then on uh, Thursday, with the editor, Jeff Hartman, and the deputy editor, Dave Schofield, I join them for the Steelers preview, and that's on Thursday evenings as well. Um, All platforms. Um, uh, We'll be live on uh, YouTube, on our YouTube channel, uh, Behind the Steel Curtain. Easy to find there. So uh, go ahead and subscribe and uh, check us out. All right, Brian. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate you, Joel. Thanks.
0: now joined by gerald goodrich he works he is a writer over at burn orange nation and also runs a longhorn republic podcast and he's here to help us preview the game in austin this weekend at tech, between oklahoma state and texas gerald thank you for joining us
3: it's so glad to be i love i love uh, getting the opportunity to come on y'all's pod philip did it for us over the summer so uh, glad to return the favor
0: Absolutely. We're glad to have you on. It's a big game this Saturday. Uh, we're all very excited about it. I'm nervous, but also excited. But uh, but we, we do appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, glad to I, I, I'm so I'm excited. Really, I'm so scared. I'm really appreciative because uh, Gerald was kind enough when I came on his show to send me some questions ahead of time. Um, I'm not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I have in no way, shape or form prepared him for whatever uh, onslaught is about to be brought uh, upon him. I kid, but, uh, so I, I, let's start with this. Um, I think we're all kind of nervous about this game. I know social media fans aside, trash talk, blah, 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 blah. But I think deep down, both teams kind of have this view of each other for, for Texas. It's a decade of, of OSU just flat out beating you, And for OSU, it's basically like three decades before then of misery of watching you know 35 point blown leads to colt mccoy and the such so i feel like this is the first time i really feel where i mean i know last year but this is the year which it feels like both teams are finally kind of on the same level uh, and for different reasons but as far as program wise and it and it it makes me like Weirdly masochistically excited and also terrified uh, and also super happy and also like nervous as all get out. Like how, how, how are you feeling about this game, Gerald? And and what do you think the, the Texas fan base is kind of feeling about this game?
3: Uh, I have personally been very noncommittal on social media because I've already been tagged in old takes exposed a couple of times this year, and I'm not going for the hat trick. So I'm like really <laughs> trying to just temper uh, my expectations. I think overall the fan base is is in the same vein cautiously optimistic. I think with the way that the offense has been playing the last Few weeks, They've, there's been cause for optimism, but then we've also seen the way that the defense has been playing and, and what Tylen Wallace has done to secondaries thus far. Uh, there's that. There's that weird mix of I think the offense can do it, but I don't know if the defense can. So there's that weird mix of optimism about what the offense can do and pessimism slash we've been hurt before about what the defense is going to bring to the table. So that's, it's a weird mix of, of emotions there.
0: So when looking at this game, you know, obviously we saw a really good game between Texas and LSU. And what, you know, without being, you know, you don't need to go too far into the weeds of it, but overall perception, what did that game show you about this year's Texas team?
3: That Sam Ellinger is as good as we thought he could be. Uh, And that the offense, when it fires on all cylinders, can compete with anybody on a national level. Uh, I think that's what we learned about the offense specifically. I think the defense uh, is that there's still there's a ton of talent, but there's not a lot of game reps and there's not a lot of depth. And I think those are the same things that we knew heading into the year. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. And when they're put in good positions to, to win, they can make plays. But they weren't really able to come up with that one stop that they needed to put them over the top. And so I think those are the, really the two lessons uh, that that Texas fans learned about that team is that again, Sam Ellinger is a guy that can will you to, to win, but only if the defense can come up with a stop and not give up 50 points.
1: So obviously running back's been a, a bit of an issue. And I think that I think the lack of depth is kind of overstated Because, and especially at games like this, like you want to have a couple guys, but really you're going to lean on your primary ball carrier and for, I mean, even at this point, Oklahoma State and Texas, like your secondary ball ball carrier is technically your quarterback. So, so really you have your two deep at running back, but at this point, how much of a concern is it for Texas to still just have Ingram and, and Ellinger and then whoever else just happens to be there this week?
3: And I think it, it depends on on which Ingram shows up. Uh, he is a very cerebral guy. He's a very um, contemplative kind of in his own head guy. And that's good because he doesn't let a whole lot of outside chatter get to him but then like you see him overthinking things when things don't start to come naturally and so I think getting somebody else in the game that's able to um, fight for the tough yards it's really weird that the number three quarterback on the depth chart converted to running back is like the get the tough yards guy thus far this year and so I think that's that's the uh, that's the differentiator and getting somebody in there for Ingram because I mean he is a guy that is used to 30, 40 carries a game. He, when he came out of, uh, high school, he had fi- like 500 career carries, uh, for, for his high school. So like he's used to being the guy to tote the rock every down, but at a collegiate level, especially when things aren't spinning your way, you've got, you've got to be able to find something, uh, to shift. Danny young is back. ish. He was pre- favoring his injured ankle this last game. And he's a guy that, um, has had has shown some flashes but also has struggled to really be consistent and so i think it's it's important for texas to be balanced because i mean for any offense right like when when you force a team to be one-dimensional then the the pendulum of advantage automatically just swings to the defense right if i know you're gonna have to pass the ball then you have to pass the ball so the the importance of texas having an option at the in the running game especially because if ellinger gets hurt casey thompson He's a good quarterback, but he's unproven, right? He's a good recruit, I can say, but we don't know if he's a good quarterback. So uh, I think that being able to limit the the hits on Ellinger uh, is a big, big reason why Texas needs some depth.
0: So last week in the game against Rice, Colin Johnson was ruled out with an injury. How do you know anything about the status of his health and if he'll be able to play on Saturday? And if he's not, then who would be a go-to wide receiver for Sam Ellinger?
3: So... Uh, in his Monday press conference, they co chairman said that Colin Johnson's on the list of guys that are probable. So, like, that's the official word. Everything that the conversations I've had with people were like, if it wasn't Rice, Colin would have gone against, you know, on Saturday. So, I think it's a situation of them being able, to, you know, just them knowing that they could probably rest a guy who needs a little, little bit of load management. He generally um, is like on the receiving end of double teams and things like that. So, giving, giving him a couple of uh, beats of rest. Now, if he can't go, um, Malcolm Epps is a guy that slots into that spot. He's a red shirt freshman. He's six, seven. So he's, he's even somehow taller than Colin Johnson, big guy. He's very, very raw as a receiver. He just started playing football primarily in the last few years. Uh, he was a basketball player before that he showed a couple of, of, um, flashes against rice. He had He finished the game with four receptions for like 43 yards, I think, but he had a 50 yard reception called back on an iffy, um, ineligible receiver downfield call, which in the big 12, the refs don't really call that as much because of just the schemes and the RPOs and things like that. So I think in a big 12 game, he would have gone for a hundred and a score. So he's a guy that can be, but he's also just new and is learning the position still. He's probably three or four years deep into being a primary football player.
1: You know, speaking of wide receivers Devin Duvernay has kind of been just like a revelation I watched that LSU game and, and I'd like I, I I'd, he- I'd heard of him but I'd certainly never like not like that like what is it about this year is he just kind of figured it out and it's clicking or was that a, a one game kind of showcase what what kind of what can he bring to this game on Saturday
3: so the 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 crazy thing about the the Herman Beck offense is like that guy in the inside slot is is going to be a stud because if you look at the, the last like three years in that offense you had Reggie Hempel Maps two years ago who was a breakout star weirdly like out of nowhere transferred out and um is is not playing at a, at a power five school last year little Jordan Humphrey in that same spot was able to have a breakout year, almost 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, declared early for the draft. Literally, like Wednesday morning was was promoted to the 53-man roster for the Saints. Um, and then Devin DuVernay in that same spot is able to um, take advantage of it. I think part of it is... Teams are like choosing to pick their poison against Texas, and it seems a lot of times schematically they'll roll a safety over the top of Colin Johnson to keep the 6'6 guy from just going down the sideline and raising his outside hand. Uh, so I think that's part of it where they choose to bracket him and the guy in the slot is able to go off, and so they kind of pick their poison and they're still dying from it. And the other thing is he's he's a he's a combination of being an incredibly fast guy and like He's a he's a crazy, he's stronger than he looks. I think he, the the story is maybe apocryphal whatever, but like the coaches wouldn't let him put more weight on the squat rack when he was maxing out over uh in in the the kind of the the pre-spring practice. Like he maxed out one of the one of the highest levels uh, of a wide receiver that they would let him go. So like he's he's a he's a combination of of strength and speed and then he runs pretty solid routes. He's tough. He put uh Grant Delpit on his rear end a couple of times, which is just just a beautiful thing after Kirk Herbstreet spent most of the first <laughs> quarter um worshiping at the altar of Grand Del Pit. So I think it's just a combination of his athleticism and the scheme really coming together to be a to be a perfect pairing.
0: So after that, you know, going back to the LSU game for just a second, you know, LSU showed that they actually know how to throw a forward pass for the first time in God knows how long. But this
3: is nineteen sixty three.
0: Something like that, yeah, something to that effect but they were able to be really effective in the past especially over the top with Joe Burrow who threw for 471 yards how do you feel about the secondary of Texas and how do you think Oklahoma State would be able to exploit it is it just continuing to go over the top like that or you know how do you do you think they'd be able to shut down Tylan Wallace or what what are you thinking about it
3: I, I don't know if anybody in the country is capable of shutting down Tyler Wallace. So I think that's that true. is like a, a fool's errand to be like, hey, how do we shut that guy down? And you don't, right? You just try to limit the damage he does and keep the other guys from killing you. Um I, I that's my biggest question is is the secondary. And the the kind of play that everybody points to, at least from the Texas fans, is they 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 brought the house on the third and sixteen third down, right? And everyone's you know, lamenting and and Fans are wanting to fire the defensive coordinator who two years ago had the number one defense <laughs> in the country, but whatever, right? The, the the whichever coordinator is struggling is always the least popular guy in town, and it's ridiculous. They wanted to fire Todd Orlando last year uh, to fire Tim Beck last year, and now everyone's like Tim Beck's the greatest right No, It's just you have a Heisman caliber quarterback. That's beside the point. Um, so it's there are some things schematically that I think Texas needs to change. They're putting their, they're putting their safeties in a lot of, co- in a lot of one-on-one coverage and kind of asking safeties to do something that safeties don't really do, uh, from a football standpoint is cover guys one-on-one that that's not really their job. Right. Um, and so they're putting these guys on islands and forcing quarterbacks to beat blitzes. And when they don't beat the blitz, you look like a genius. When they stand in the pocket, take a hit and still deliver a strike in the soft spot in the defense, you're going to look like a schmuck. And so I think it's, you know, Orlando's kind of always been a riverboat gambler when it comes to his blitzes. And I think, uh, Joe Burrow was about a fingertip away from getting that ball slapped out of his hand on that third and 16. So it's, it's one of those, you're, you kind of, you, you're between a rock and a hard place And, and Texas has been, has made its money in the last several years on blitzing the quarterback and forcing them to beat the blitz. And, and Joe Burrow just happens to be, I think a really legitimately good quarterback.
1: So this game is a sellout. That that's what it was announced. And like I was at the OSU Texas game in I think it was twenty thirteen. Uh, I'll never forget the look on Mac Brown's face that the uh, interception right before halftime. Uh, that was that was a glorious moment. Sorry, um, but this that was my one experience in Austin. And I'd say that the experience there, the 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 fans were, and they were loud. They were there. But it's not what I expected from a trip to to Texas. What should OSU fans expect uh, from this game? It's a sellout crowd. I think the fans are actually excited. And saw what it looked like for that LSU game, and and with this being probably the best Big Twelve team that that, that Texas has at the home schedule, should we expect um, a pretty pretty raucous environment uh, on Saturday night? I think I think what you've seen in the last two
3: years is, is pretty indicative of what you expect. Uh, there, the the game day experience around the stadium, previous to last year, was just so weird. It was kind of dead. Most of the tailgating happens like across a major street, and it's probably like you know, a quarter mile walk to the stadium, at least, you know, three years ago, like when I I was in school, like that was the experience is like, you can show up six minutes after kickoff and everything's fine, nothing to worry about, um, because your student tickets guaranteed and all those things. And so I think the changes that they made to the game day experience, making students eating first come first serve, like they have, they had people complaining on Twitter, because people can't whatever i'm i'm not going to go on that rant like people complaining on twitter about oh i have to sit in the sun for 3 hours for the game that's what tailgating is too you just happen to not
0: be able to
3: <laughs> drink your free beer from your cooler right, right. uh so um but the, the student seating being first come, first serve forces students to get there early. Like I would just walk from my apartment that was about a quarter mile away from campus when I started hearing uh, things gear up. Uh, and so that that's a change. The 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 Bebo Boulevard and all those things where they're bringing people and making around the stadium an event is getting people there early. And so I think uh, expect a raucous crowd, even though they're like, Three thousand seats missing from the south end zone because they're doing some construction there. Um, expected to be loud. Expected to be raucous. I mean, you you saw what happened. I, I think back to like the USC game last year where fans were just screaming and going crazy. I was at that West Virginia game last year, which didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but that was just an incredible fan experience. I think uh, expect Texas to have a legitimate home field advantage for probably the first time uh, in this crazy 10-year span of of Oklahoma State absolutely owning Texas on the road.
1: Uh, I saw something on Twitter, and and I forget who posted it, and I don't want to scroll back through to try and find it. So, oh, well. But somebody made what I thought was an interesting point was that it, it obviously OU is Texas's primary rival. But most schools have, you know, you have your primary, and then you have some other rivalries. And I, and I know that, you know, the other schools in Texas in Big 12, the TCU, Texas Tech Baylor, those are those are kind of rivals because they're in-state, and you compete for a lot of the same players. But the point they made was that at this point, you could almost argue that Oklahoma State is more Texas's secondary rival than any other school in Texas, even, even Texas A&M. I know there's the the vitriol between a and Texas, but they don't. You guys don't even play anymore. It's kind of hard to be a rivalry when you never play each other. Meanwhile, OSU has won seven of the last nine games. Has won four in a row, five straight in Austin. Um, these are we've had a lot of close games recently. Even in these this four game OSU win streak, three of those games were by three points. So this has become a a game to watch. I mean, this is one of the five best games this weekend. Um, the Big Twelve did themselves a, a favor and and got this game kind of early to have a a big marquee conference game in in week four. So I'm I'm curious from your perspective because I I kind of buy into it. Do you think how does Texas fans view Oklahoma State at this point? Is this is this become something of a, a rivalry or is it still just like so issue whatever?
3: I think I think it depends from fan to fan. I think for me, I I see it as um. Uh, I I see. I see it as a rivalry in like a check a check mark on the is Texas back list if that's like still a thing, right? Um, like once Texas no longer gets beat in its own house by the same team for the last eleven years, right? Like then that's that's a legitimate like okay, Texas might be on the upswing. I we can talk all day about what what rivalries are and who the rivals are as far as in state tech has to win more than one in a row against texas for that to be considered a rivalry even though they get the after thanksgiving spot tcu <laughs> is um i don't know how to describe tcu because gary patterson has owned texas for a very long time <laughs> uh but i th- it, it just it hurts my soul to like i see the flop sweat i guess if anybody has forehead sweat and a visor i immediately have like a ptsd moment um because <laughs> gary patterson just terrifies me but it, it's as far as like on the field, I, I don't know if there's another team in the Big Twelve, maybe outside of TCU, that's given Texas as many fits as even even when Texas was winning games. I was at the Vince Young comeback game in Austin. I was at that game. I almost left that game <laughs> at halftime because OSU was absolutely beating the dog crap out of Texas in that first half, and then Vince Young did the Vince Young things that Vince Young does. And, and so, like, there as far as on the field, I, I think. I think this game means almost as much to Gundy as Bedlam does in in a weird way, whereas um, he gets his team up for it every year. And I don't know if it's a pregame of they didn't recruit you, let's prove them wrong. Or if it's a let's go, let's go and like all the kids from Texas that end up at Oklahoma State probably uh, have play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, especially when they go to Austin. So I think I, I feel like it's a rivalry. I feel like it is a and it's like a respectful rivalry. It's not where. You know, it's OU, you know, we, we, it's 757 and OU still sucks. Right. It's not that it's not <laughs> not, little brother had to run to the sec to get away from us. Cause they were tired of being in our shadow kind of rivalry that we still live rent free case. McCoy is the greatest quarterback that's ever beaten Texas a and quote me on it, uh, forever scoreboard. So, um, I like, as far as what's on the field, sorry, I had to go on my a rant as no, far as do. what happens on the field, I think OSU is a legitimate rival, rival uh, based upon what happens between the chalk lines.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that that point of there is a like there is a mutual respect, and it may be born out of the fact of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and 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 we can always fall back on we don't like OU <laughs> together, um, and then once a year we we don't like each other. But I do I do think it has developed into something more respectful osu has became, been able to to beat texas i mean it's one thing one times it flew twice is something but i mean as and, I, and this isn't me trying to like rub anything in or stab the knife or twist anything just I, I think osu's been able to win enough in the last decade to to make this much more interesting than it was when oh, texas is winning like every year for 30 years in a row so yeah
3: no and and that's uh, you can't you can't argue with the wins and the losses on the on the score sheet like you're not like that's just what happens. Mike Gundy has absolutely owned the University of Texas for the last 10 years and there's no two ways around it.
0: All right, Gerald. So before we get you out of here, we need a score prediction from you for this game.
3: Ugh, this is my least favorite. I'm so bad at score predictions. Uh, I'm also really bad at math, so like I always like second guess myself constantly as I do um as I do math in my head. I think it's gonna be a high scoring game. I'm thinking somewhere in the range of like a. Like 42 35 situation. I really honestly think it's gonna end up like whoever has the ball last uh is gonna put their kicker on the field to try to win the game. And so I think like it's gonna be a a seven or three point game, like a one score game. Uh what's the what's did anyone know, you guys know the Vegas line on this? Uh
1: the the current uh consensus line, uh Texas is a five and a half point favorite, uh and the over under is seventy-three.
3: Ooh, seventy so that ooh. So 73 is like what a like a 35 like 35 38 right so i would uh, take the over and i would take the points uh i i really think um i really think it's going to be a close game i think just because i have to have my burn orange glasses on i think i think texas trots Cameron Dicker out and he's able to to win it with with a with a last second field goal
0: oh good old Dicker the kicker
3: yes seeing? sir
0: Fantastic. just a great nickname.
3: He hit he hit a fifty seven yarder against oh, Rice. Shit. So
0: like it's a real thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. He's 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 going to the NFL. That guy's gonna be making field goals. I, at, at this point with Texas, like as soon as you guys hit like your own forty five, you should just have him it out there and you might as well try it.
3: <laughs> I, I I said on a, so the guy who owns the all time kicking, like the, the longest field goal in Texas history something like sixty seven yards. It's something stupid. It happened Jeez. in the seventies. And so like I feel like his senior year Herman should just trot him out there for a 70-yarder to see what happens. Just, like, do it. Like, what, what's the like, – hey, we're playing North Texas this week. Just go ahead and try for a 70-yarder and see if you can take that record because I don't know who else is going to take that. But, yeah, it's absolutely nuts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Gerald. Uh, thank you very much for coming and joining us on this episode, and it will be a fun game in Austin. Well, I say fun, but I don't think it will be fun for either of us to watch, to be quite honest. Uh,
3: I am glad my child goes to sleep at seven thirty, so he does not have to see me so anxious for an entire evening. And thank you guys so much for having me; it was a blast.
1: Hey, always a pleasure, man. And yeah, I, I know the feeling. I'm real glad she's gonna be in bed because she may not like her daddy by the time this game's over.
0: <laughs> I I know the feeling
1: because I, I know sorry. my wife won't. Oh
0: yeah, no, my my wife is gonna hate me by the, about the third quarter of this game. I know that for sure. All right, we have a good one, Gerald. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Brian Anthony Davis of behind Steel Curtain and Gerald Goodridge of Burnt Orange Nation for joining us for two great interviews in a packed episode this week. Uh, both were both were awesome. It was, again, it's so cool to you know, see Pittsburgh fans be so excited about Mason Rudolph and James Washington and that connection, you know, it's, it's steel water. Um, and then to have Gerald come on and talk about Oklahoma state, Texas, obviously he's going to pick Texas because of course he is. But it, again, it it's going to be a fun game in Austin on Saturday. I, I, it's going to be yeah, one of the better of games. In the week for sure, sure.
1: Dude, was, Well, I mean, it's one of the five best games you've got Michigan, no Wisconsin, um, Georgia, Notre Dame, I know there's more. I can't think of what they are. But, I mean, this is one of the best. Why do you think it's on ABC primetime? Like, It's I, the big one, the Big 12. And perhaps the Big 12 for scheduling what they thought might be a a good conference game this week. I mean, it, it puts the Big 12, and especially with the way the conference has started the season, uh, and you, you're piggybacking off of last week where West Virginia and Kansas had those big upset wins. They're facing off this Saturday. And you get Oklahoma State and Texas. Uh, this is this is a big opportunity for both Texas and Oklahoma State. It's a big, big opportunity for the Big 12 to have a a showcase game. I think this, whatever happens in this game, I think it's going to be a really fun game, uh, especially fun for non-Oklahoma State and Texas fans who are probably going to sit there just ready to explode because of how anxiety-filled this game is probably going to be. But it's it's going to be, I just, like I said to Gerald, this one I think is going to feel like Bedlam, far more than it's going to feel like a normal OSU Texas game of, of years past that we think of of you know games in the 20s or that 13-10 game this is going to be a bedlam game of hey defenses if you can get one stop that'd be great
0: man this this game is going to do a number on my liver i know it is Oklahoma state sports make me drink anyways but man i feel like it's going to be rough this weekend so our sunday mm-hmm. pod might be painful
1: <laughs> well here's your other thing for Oklahoma state and I, and I, and i don't know how much to buy into this stat when it comes to a game this big uh, obviously, Texas is a favorite. Uh, you're in Austin. Texas is good. This isn't some like fluke game. But Oklahoma State is two and five in their last seven Big 12 openers. Yeah, like that's that's real. They were five and two after after the after years one and two for Gundy, where he lost the first two. They won five in a row. But since 2012, they're two and five, and they've lost the last three. In a row, and some of those were fluky. You have that weird road loss against West Virginia that I don't, I still don't understand. You had the the was it the twenty sixteen loss to Baylor that was so weird. That wasn't even a it was an okay Baylor team. I wish she was far better than Baylor, but they still lost that game. Like there's, it's just something about Big Twelve openers have become a problem for Oklahoma State, and I wonder if that's played into kind of the mindset of of why they've been so vanilla. You know, the last two years. Last year, they threw everything at Boise State. It was a huge game. They beat Boise State, and then there was a massive letdown the next week. Two years ago, you know, it was the, the game against, at Pittsburgh. The, you, your first play of the game is a 91-yard touchdown pass, and it just blew Pittsburgh out. And there was all this great talk. And Oklahoma State offense is unstoppable, blah, blah, blah. And you face TCU, who turned out to be pretty good, and, 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 just, and just got beat. And I, I look at this game and go... One, we're not coming out of non-conference with an overflated sense of what this team is. There, there's a little bit. Too many people are talking about how unstoppable Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard are, and I really wish they'd shut up and stop it. Because um, I'm just like, no, no, no. We've done this two years in a row. Just tell us that we're not any good. That would be better. Um, but, but from a from a fan perspective, I know we're all excited, but it doesn't feel like the last few years. We're coming out of this. We're about to go face a Texas team that's a good Texas team. It's you know, this isn't some fluky opener. I don't know that this is going to. If Oklahoma State loses, I don't think it's a fair to just lump it in with the rest of them because of because of what the situation is. But I'm, I don't look at the, at the past of what's happened, and apply it towards how I feel about this year because, I do think they've made some adjustments. I do think the schedule is very different, and I do go into this game with a lot more respect for this opening. Big 12 opener than maybe we did the last two years where we're just like, it's Texas tech. We're going to beat them. We do every year. It's TCU. They were terrible last year. Like I think this is a very different opener than we've had the last few years.
0: Yeah. It's one of those where we've seen it in years past where Oklahoma state has played up and down to whatever competition they're playing, especially in conference play. So you wonder you're playing the number 12 team in the country on the road I think Oklahoma State shows up and it's at least a dogfight. I don't think they lay an egg like they did the last, the previous two years in their conference opener, even past three years, really. So I think this game is going to be better than we've seen conference openers in the past. What do you want to see? Like, what's your you know, couple big things that you want to see this week for Oklahoma State?
1: There's there's one thing in particular that. I really want to see. I mean, there's a lot of different things I would like to see. Um, I, I'd like to see them have some defensive line depth that would be good. Um, I'd like them to see. I'd like to see more of the second half defense that they they had against Oregon State and Tulsa in the first half against Texas. But what I really need to see is this: Spencer Sanders has to go to his other wide receivers. Yes. Texas is not going to let Tylen Wallace just just be out there without another, without a safety or, a, or someone else keeping an eye on him, without some other coverage on him. He's not going to be just left one-on-one like he was against Tulsa. And, and Tulsa, you know, credit again to their cornerbacks. They did a good job, but I think Adam Watt made the point good because I I never thought it was a matter of Spencer Sanders didn't have the arm strength. It was always just why can't he seem to put the ball in front of, of Wallace, and, it, and it's a timing issue. He's and, and this all goes back to why I'm glad he didn't. Play last year. He, he's holding on to the ball too long. And so he's knocking the ball out early enough so that Wallace can go to the ball in stride and keep going to the end zone. Cause he would have like three times last week had, had Spencer gotten the ball where he needed to, but he's leaning on, on, on Thailand too much. And we have too many different wide receivers who are good. Dylan Stoner is good. Landon Wolf is good. McCray has shown he's a solid wide receiver. CJ Moore can do things. Texas is not going to let Tyler Wallace be open. I, I think Tylan will, will get some looks and will get some catches. Tyler's not going to have a monster day this year, week. I just don't think he's going to. Spencer is going to have to throw to his other receivers. He's, he's going to have to look off Tyler. He's not going to be able to fall off him. He is going to have to look to the other guys. And if he doesn't, OSU loses this game, and, and probably pretty badly. If he, will, if he will target the other guys, if they want to go ahead and start throwing to the, to the tight end, I'm fine with that. If, if the cowboy back, if Jelani Woods wants to get a few targets and catches, I'm all for it. But I need to see Spencer. I need to see Spencer throw the ball to Stoner. I need to see McCray get the ball. I Need to see C.J. Moore get the ball. I need to see Land Wolf get the ball because if he doesn't, if he just forces things to Tylen Wallace, this game could get ugly quickly.
0: I think my biggest takeaway kind of piggybacks off that a little bit, but it's, I want to see how they open up the offense a little bit to what, you know, without doing too much for your redshirt freshman quarterback, but enough that we're not seeing kind of the vanilla and the, the basics that we've seen the last two weeks specifically uh, against McNeese state and against Tulsa. I think Volcom state opens up the offense a little bit more. I'm curious what they're able to do and how effective they're able to be because Obviously, it's not on film for Texas to exploit. So if Oklahoma State's able to open it up a little bit and Spencer Sanders is able to make some quick decisions, make solid throws, utilize his legs, you know, get everyone involved, I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to stay in the game. But if we see more of the same from the offense because Spencer Sanders just isn't ready for whatever that next step is, then I'm with you. I think this game can get really ugly, and I don't think it's necessarily – just forcing the ball to Wallace. I think it's if the offense is so basic again that Texas defense, which is pretty solid, is able to just sit you know, just sit there and make play after play after play, then it could get ugly in that fashion too.
1: Yeah, that was a thought I had today was obviously you keep it vanilla and and, and in theory that's because there's no reason to show a bunch of stuff against McNeese and Tolson Oregon State. They did a few things. They've they've shown some stuff. But and we're just—we're also certain they're going to open up the offense and get real creative and fun and wild against Texas. And I do wonder if—if if they're ready to. I, I do wonder if—if if, if Spencer's having trouble making quick decisions and getting his reads quickly and, and and processing things at a speed that they need to to open the game up. If they're going to be able to yet, I I kind—I think that we're going to see more than we have, obviously, because. You know, Gerald's right. Gundy gets up for this game. He wants to win. He wants to beat Texas badly. Um, I, I do think they're going to show some stuff that we haven't seen yet, and I'm very excited for it. But I am curious. A, it's still early in the, in the conference season. You don't want to throw the whole book at them. But how much are they actually going to open it up? How much are they really going to let Spencer do? Because how comfortable is he still in, in the offense as the guy?
0: And then over to the defensive side of the ball, I'm curious. I saw Devin Harper warm up, linebacker who hasn't played yet this season. I saw him warming up in full pads against the against Tulsa on Saturday. He didn't play, which was kind of what I expected, but I think that shows that he's at least ready for this game. And this was kind of the timeline that we had heard that he was going to play against Texas. If he's in, that just adds a little more depth to that linebacking core that has been really good and a very much a bright spot of this defense so far this season. But you also need Brendan Evers healthy. You need Sioni Asi healthy. You need Israel Antoine to get into action as well. Because you can't have a duplicate of that defensive line getting exhausted like they did against Tulsa. Because not only did Zach Smith at times kind of pick you apart and Shamari Brooks, but now you have Sam Hellinger who is just going to run it right down your throat until you stop it on those little design QB runs and Yeah, say an Ingram at running back as well that they can just run at will at times like we've seen a little bit. And they're going to be able to if you have a very thin defensive line. Again, if those guys are healthy, then I think you're able to neutralize that at least a little bit and force Ellinger to throw. And I think that's where Oklahoma State needs to – that's where they have to play on the defensive side of the ball. If they can get healthy this week, and we won't really know that too much until game time because Gunny's pretty tight-lipped about it. Uh, but for now, my hope is that the def- the defense, especially a defensive line- the linebacker, gets healthy.
1: If I'm Mike Gundy, I am parking my ass in the administrative offices at Oklahoma State and saying, I'm not moving from this damn chair until you figure out what's going on and get, get me Israel Antwine. Like, we're three weeks in, okay, fine, we can meet him without him. It's, it's big boy time now. I don't know what this— administrative issues are, I'm not leaving this offense until he's able to play on Saturday. And if that means that I'm sitting here for the next three weeks because you still can't get it figured out, so be it. But get him eligible and make it happen for Saturday because we need him. Exactly.
0: So do you have any defensive thoughts or do we just want to go right into a score prediction uniform?
1: Honestly, defensively, I just want to see him get a couple stops. I I know that's lame. That's not very – Look, I'm not Adam Lunt. <laughs> I'll just be blunt. Um, I just need to see him get a few stops. If, if, they can, if they can keep Ellinger from beating them with his legs, okay. Like I, that's, that's the only thing. I, you're not going to be able to stop his legs and keep him from, from, from passing efficiently because nobody can seem to pick him off. You can pick him off. I, I'll shut up. That, that's what I want. I want you to pick him off once and I'll feel good.
0: Right. So but what's interesting is that, you know, as simple as saying, oh, I need them to get a couple – I want them to get a couple stops. As simple as that may seem, in a game like this where it's going to be an offensive shootout, we're going to see, you know, probably 35-plus from each team, two stops probably wins you the ball game. Like that is just simple as that. Yeah. No, I agree. Do you have a score prediction in mind?
1: So – Texas is favored by five and a half right now. It's an over under seventy three. Man. Um I think this is a high scoring game. I think it's back and forth. I'm gonna I'm gonna say <clears throat> I keep hearing people talking about. I'm a, I'm a, I'm afraid that Dicker's going to line up and kick a game-winning field goal, and I think I can kind of see that happening. So I'm I'm going to go something like 41 to 38, Texas.
0: 40 with, I'm thinking, right now I'm thinking 45 41. I I'm not, I don't know if it's going to be a game-winning field goal, but I think Texas. I just I pick early when I we did our early season predictions where we had that graphic and we picked all the games. I originally picked Oklahoma State against Texas. But the more that this week has kind of worn on, the more I just don't know if Oklahoma State going to be able to pull it off. I think they're going to keep it close, and I think they're going to at least show, hey, we can hang with any team in this conference and any really you know top team in this conference. But I just think Texas is going to be able to pull it out in a close game here. I think we see – what a redshirt freshman Spencer Sanders looks like he's human if they're able to take away Tylen Wallace if Chuba Hubbard's neutralized this is going to be a, it's going to be a rough game for Oklahoma State but I think they at least are able to hang around but they're not going to be able to pull it off
1: if this game was in Stillwater I'd pick OSU I, agree. O- I agree OSU hasn't had to go to Austin and deal with a, a fan base that's excited and rowdy in a night game. Like I, I, I do think that the Texas fan base is back to actually having providing something of an impact. Um, I picked this as a loss to begin the season. Uh, I, there's nothing I've seen. and I, I know how well she was played. I know how well Thailand's played. There's nothing I've seen that has convinced me that, that I should change my, my opinion on this. I think it's close. I just, you know, it, this just feels like the end of the streak. And I I can't believe they've – they've OSU has been able to beat them this many times in a row and this many times in Austin. This one just feels different. I, I will take Texas. I think OSU keeps it close. I just – man, I just – this feels like one where Texas is going to get it.
0: Yep. And do you have a uniform? So I was correct last week. Let's hope you are this week.
1: Hmm. Texas, what does Texas wear at home? What is it? White, orange,
0: white? It's the white white, ugly, burnt orange and white.
1: Yeah. Um and I really wanna I really want to pick reverse and say orange, white, orange. I think they go Hold on, what did they wear last year? What did they wear last week?
0: They wore it was, was the it, white, white, orange.
1: Yeah. If they had done white, white, orange last week, I'd pick it this week. But Night game, Austin. I'm. Um, I picked it last week. I'm gonna pick it again. I'm gonna pick black, white, black.
0: Black, white, black. I th- I could see that one for sure. I'm gonna go a little bit different. I'm gonna go tricolor, and I'm gonna go with orange, white, black.
1: Ooh. With the
0: that chrome orange helmet with the the giant pistol Pete head. It's kind of that's what I'm thinking right now. I think that would be a good look on primetime.
1: Yeah. It's Hey, ABC primetime. You need to go out there and look your best. No doubt. Look your best.
0: So I think that wraps up our preview of the game against Texas. Before we get out of here and wrap this one up, the conference, the Big 12 conference schedule for Cowboy basketball dropped earlier this afternoon. And there is this. I think it's a pretty decent schedule for OSU. It's going to be tough, obviously, just because the Big 12 is fantastic. But there's a yeah. lot of primetime games, a lot of great opportunities for national exposure. I, I think overall it, it doesn't play as brutally as it did last year.
1: Well, A, you should have a better team this year than you did last year. For sure. Um, you've got a very nice non-conference schedule. I, it's, it's, it kind of has a, it's a, it's a schedule of runs. You open at Texas Tech, which is good grief. What do would open your, your conference season? You get a very nice run of West Virginia at TCU and then Texas. I think West Virginia and Texas are going to be better than last year, but they'll still be at the bottom. TCU is going to be – I think TCU finishes in last place. That's a nice three game run. then you get Baylor at home, which is gonna be tough at Iowa State, at am, Kansas at Oklahoma. I know Am is not very good, but at a road game at Am smack dab in the middle of the second best team in the conference, a top five team in the conference on the road, Kansas at home and then at Oklahoma. that's a rough stretch right there. Sure. It really is. Then you get TCU at Baylor at K State, Texas I mean it's just it's a it's a tough schedule because you're playing the big twelve, but I a lot of people are kind of high on, on Oklahoma State being a, a a team that can not just be better than last year, but actually get to the top half, make it to the NCAA tournament. I think this is the year they do it. I'm not sure I can pick them finishing top five, but I can see sixth and sixth place in the Big 12 is good enough to make it. And with the, the games they have in non-conference, if they get out of there relatively unscathed, this is a tournament team. Because in the Big 12, if you can finish just close to 500 – you're good.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think this is. I think Oklahoma State and with this schedule, like you said, there is that really good run to start. If they can get, you know, if they can go three and one, four and one to start before that stretch at Iowa State, A and M, and then Kansas OU, I think they put they positioned themselves pretty nicely to finish in that middle of the pack in the conference in that fifth sixth spot. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that Oklahoma State could finish higher than six in that fifth spot. But like you said, I I think if they can finish in that area. They're a tournament team and I wanna watch this team in March so damn badly. We've needed it. Ugh. I think I think Boyton has assembled a team and I think now that he has truly started to get his guys in here and this is really a full roster of them almost, this is gonna be, you know, really kind of a, a you know, a springboard of what we're gonna see with Mike Boynton if they're able to get there.
1: Three big Monday games. That's huge. You get a game on ABC and a game on C B S. Bedlam is on Saturday both times. This schedule is like there's still more Saturday home, road games and home games, and that seems to have been a trend. But I, this is a much more friendly schedule for Oklahoma State than than there was last year. And I know there's some games on ESPN Plus, and everyone's got thoughts on that. And and we we're going to talk about that. We'll save that for next week, since next week's OSU Kansas State games on ESPN Plus, and I have some thoughts. And it's probably not what everybody else thinks because it I don't it doesn't upset me the way it does everyone else. But so be it. Um, I like this schedule. There's a lot of opportunity for this schedule. Uh, and I think they have an opportunity at the end of the year to, to, to put some wins together. You finish with Iowa State, Kansas State, and at Texas. That's a, a – there's a lot of opportunities here. I, I see them. Um, like I said, I like that three-game stretch. Um, I like the, the last five you – know, OU at Kansas, Iowa State, Kansas State, at Texas. I like that run there. Um, I just – I think the schedule – it's tough opener, nice stretch, tough middle, um, semi-friendly end. I like it. I do. I, I, can, I can look at this schedule and say um, in an 18-game schedule, I can find eight wins. I think I can. I,
0: I think I can find eight wins in here as well. Now, we'll know a little bit more about that as the season gets closer. But right now, I feel like it's a pretty good to just look at just – you know, just general thoughts right now, and then we can go more in depth as the season gets closer. We're creeping up on it. I mean, we're already in Week Four of college football. Basketball's you know starts right at the end of October. I mean, we're we're getting we're getting right up there. Yeah, I agree. All right, any final thoughts here, Philip?
1: Just go pokes.
0: Go pokes. Beat Texas, and we will talk to everyone on Sunday. Philip, where can everyone follow you on Twitter?
1: Follow me personally at OKTXARPoke. Don't forget to follow my show, The 1012 at T and the number 12, of The Word Podcast. It's available pretty much anywhere podcasts are bound.
0: Follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at CowboysRFF. And we'll be back for a reaction pod after the Texas game. We'll either be up Sunday or Monday morning. And we will talk to you all then.